Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I am Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Before we start the show, I just want to make sure you're following us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please leave us a review and uh, a rating. That would help us out greatly. Quentin, I haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to lately? I have been um, enjoying a new van. I bought a new van and it is a lot of fun to outfit and it is bizarre because it is a 1981 Mercedes TN309 308 which is just a bizarre transport van it's basically the predecessor to a sprinter and some dude local to Portland uh brought in a couple of them so i happened to find it on Craigslist cuz i was in a sprinter buying mood i got it and now i'm uh, cruising around in a four speed four cylinder manual choke no power steering box van and it's bright red and it has a and it has a fire truck uh, uh, siren system, uh, which is Euro, so it goes neener neener neener, <laughs> and a uh, and an overhead light that I have to obscure because the cops will get me. So I, that's what I've been up to. I have to say I have an amazing amount of van envy. That is the <laughs> coolest van I have ever seen, especially the little the little fluttery horn. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, that was turkey an, call. That was this guy, the gobble. This, <laughs> the guy that brought it in. He decided, well, I'm not going to use this neener neener horn because that's illegal. Apparently, we'll see. Um, so I'm going to put on this other one, which goes. I don't. I can't even do it. It's oh, bizarre. It's the perfect Portland van. That thing is going to turn some heads at track days. Yeah, that's the perfect bike hauling van. Yeah. For local. For local. It's not, it's yeah, not a long, long distance haul. van. It's not happy over 65 miles an hour, but whatever. I'm not going to lie to you. I would not want to crash in that van either. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Those seats look like they're just oh. going to fall right out. Oh, I know. There's a lot of bad <laughs> things about it, but you know, I, I it, it wasn't a lot of money and it'll do me well for a while. And I, I, I like the novelty of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. You've been, you've been riding at all? Not enough. Did a couple dirt bike sojourns out in the... One in the Tillamook Forest, maybe uh, one in Washington. I can't remember since I'd seen you last, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, because I've been gone, shoot, maybe two weeks almost, 10 days, something like that. So I was down in SoCal. We had a couple press launches. Uh, The first one was uh, the Yamaha 2016 kind of American market launch, I guess you could say. It's not... So we saw the R1S. That's probably the thing we should talk about. But we yeah. also saw like the 60th anniversary liveries that they're putting on the... They had that all there for yeah, you? Yeah, there for us to see. So okay. they had the R6, the Super Tenere, and the R1 done in that yellow and black speed block, Kenny Roberts style. Yeah, sure. Looks great Looks on awesome. the race bikes. On the Tenere, it makes it look like a taxi cab, like a taxi yeah. bike. I didn't like it. I like the Tenere. Some, I was talking to someone the other day. My buddy Tim doesn't like the way the Tenario looks. And I was like, you know what? I really do. Like it's 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 goofy enough that it, it strikes me in the right way. Like I think I think it's my Bamoda mantra for, like comparing it to No, you. no. It's it's much more it's much more standard. Well, yeah, it's Bimoda definitely mantra. not as as polarizing. But for me, like it's like I would say it's a bike that most people don't think is attractive. Yet no, for me, sure. I find a lot of aesthetic uh beauty in it. I don't like the fact that it just looks heavy. Like a lot of these bikes just look heavy mm-hmm. and it looks heavy. Even if it isn't that heavy, 
it looks heavy. Yeah. And you have spent a lot of time on one. It's heavy. I, I've spent a lot of time on one. What are you talking about? I've never ridden one. Oh. I would love to. I've put like 2,000 miles on one. Right. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. You would know. Oh, oh I thought you were saying I didn't. Mm. No. Sure. So you have. Is it? So we did a trip from Santa Barbara to Moab on uh, a Tenere. And the other bike that we swapped back and forth on was a R1200 GS. So night and day difference between the two of those bikes. Anything's lighter than an gs yeah right yeah i mean i didn't i don't i don't really get into the whole weight thing with the adventure tours because like yeah they're heavier than a dirt bike but i'm not really going on the trails that i'll be going with a dirt bike on like the weight's never been like the biggest issue i guess the biggest issue for me would be like when it gets kind of gnarly and like your your um clearances are getting become an issue and you need to like be able to touch the ground like then it's like yeah okay getting my foot down is hard moving that weight around that weight transfer is hard like i can see i see the argument but like for me the difference between a 450 pound adventure tour and a 550 pound adventure tour is negligible yeah well that's the problem for me is they need to be 350 right. to 400 pounds right. that's right? what everyone wants and that um that's not that light but holy crap does it make a huge difference sure so seeing these things go full gargantuan but in order to have the structure that holds the bags and, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, and that be, has to be heavy the durability right? to like it has to take a punishment. Sure. It's not like you can just, Oh, I don't know, build a Ducati scrambler and jump it off a big jump in Brown's camp and, and hope that the break engine, ca- engine cases and hope the engine cases don't break. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of that with those, right. I mean, that's just there. It was expressly said, do not jump these bikes. Right. Okay. It's not designed for it. Nope. It, it's it looks kind of like it's supposed to, but it isn't right. It brings up an interesting thing. Like, so if you create marketing material that shows the bike taking these huge jumps and then your customer goes out and does that. Yeah. But has there been marketing material that have, have you seen something where the jumps have been done? Right. I haven't, I can't think of, I saw a photo and I don't know if it was a Ducati USA social media or not. So I can't say for certain, but I did see some, some stuff of people taking them off jumps. It makes you wonder if that was Ducati sanctioned. What could you say? Like, mm-hmm. hey, this was design intent. You set it's right here in your from in your a product liability stuff. legal sure. perspective. Absolutely. If your marketing material shows you using that vehicle in that manner and yep. it breaks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I thought about that with the Multistrada because I cracked the engine cases on my Multistrada and I wasn't doing anything serious. Uh, yeah, but I was. Right. right. That's the thing. You know, but you weren't doing anything that serious. Nope. Nothing that a dirt bike couldn't do a thousand times. Right. And, or most other venture tours to a point, you know, you scrape something on the bottom. Right. Uh, you, you knock it with a rock on, on a, on a, after a major jump, uh, not even major, but like a, a, a little roller and then crunch, which is what happened to me. You know, you crack a little aluminum, whereas a more serious piece of equipment would have, things in place underneath that are more than just a fairly flimsy aluminum skid skid plate right, right. and i don't know what the tenere and we, we just went off on super adventure tour and ta- dirt bike street bike tangent but the tenere i've i've heard nothing bad about those things other than what other whatever time i've seen one that's been outfitted like with tour tech stuff it looks like a turkey basting pan underneath the engine which is just horrible and a lot of those Big adventure tours, that's what they need is something that goes and covers the entire engine. Yeah. And it always looks horrible, right? So it's a tough, it's a tough balance. But if you want to go fast off-road, look at any Paris Dakar bike from 
the eighties, nineties, back when they were large engines, right? Before they went to the 450, they had some big, nasty bash guards and they looked like turkey basters. And then it ran up to a fairing though. At least it wasn't as, as ugly. Bottom line though, the Tenere looks like a freaking taxi cab in that, <laughs> in that livery. Whereas the race bikes look wicked, right? I like the race bikes quite a bit. All right. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. the R1S itself, I, you know, my first thing is like, well, how much, how much less was it than the, than the R, the normal R1? $1,500. $1,500. So for $1,500, you're getting a bike with less rev limit because it doesn't have the tie rods. And right. I can't remember if it doesn't have tie valves, but. No, it does. It does still have the tie it valves. It has tie valves. Okay. So it doesn't have tie rods, which is a critical, um, a critical thing for RPM. Hold on. Right. Let me just double check that. You're going to double check it, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep on. You're going to press on through. Yeah. Exalting. So the. The bike doesn't have tie rods, doesn't have magnesium wheels, which I wasn't aware that the standard R1 had mag, but apparently they must be mag content, like a, a certain amount, um, and the mag engine covers, something like that. So I know the mag engine covers is one. The wheels, I wasn't sure on, right? So relative to the R1M, that, that one we can kind of throw out the window. That's a different, that's a higher level, that's in the $20,000 range, right? I'm just talking the difference between R1S and a standard R1. Is $1,500 worth it? Well, if everybody was paying cash for their bikes straight up, yeah, $1,500 would make sense. So Joe Schmo, like me, if I was going to go buy for street use and mild track days, I would probably be tempted by an R1S. But if I'm going to go finance it, then I'm going to buy the R1 the good one, because yeah. uh, you know it's going to be. Th- I, I talked with the F and I guy, the the finance guy at a local dealership. And he's like, "Yeah, right. it'd probably be about an extra thirty bucks a month." Right. Absolutely shake, worth shake that it. out of your couch. Right. That's what I'm saying, man. I I, I for that, if I'm already going to spend that much on a on a, a thousand cc bike like that, I want yeah. a few more little tricker bits. Right. Yeah. The most important thing to me is the wheels. If yeah. they are lighter, yeah. That's a for me. That's a uh, a critical mod. You do that before any other thing because it ref- uh, it affects not only acceleration but suspension and brakes and everything. It's everything. Wheels are everything, right? right? So that's first things first. And I would be all about that, right? $1,500 worth? Yeah, it is worth that to me. So when I see that though, it makes you wonder if they're just trying to hit a price point that's closer to the other manufacturers, which is the point you brought up. So Right, right. Yeah, because I remember that conversation. So, so back it up a little bit. The valve springs have been revised. But not the valves? But not the valves. It's the same valve. Ah, you know what? Because they're not pulling the RPM, right. they don't they need have to, to be as stiff or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I got the I got the spreadsheet in front of me now with all the differences. So you got steel rods instead of titanium uh, on the engine, revives valve springs, the oil pan, side engine covers, engine cover bolts, exhaust headers have all been changed. Uh, the wheels, obviously, the weight goes up uh, nine pounds. It really, it's like meh. Yeah. But. If most of that nine pounds is in the wheels, it's a huge difference. Sure, right? Absolutely. But if it's in the rest of it, it's just not it's enough. Probably like three pounds in the wheels, if I had to guess. Sure. And the only electronic thing that they touch is it doesn't have the quick shifter. But so you can buy that as you a, can buy that as a aftermarket sure. Yamaha huh. dealer part. So that was something I thought that was pretty interesting because the electronics package on the R1 is really what sells. I shouldn't say that just sells. I mean, obviously, it sells on other things as well. But for me, the highlight of the R1 is just how good the electronics package is. Sure. I haven't sat down and really gotten super technical on it, but easy to say that it's probably one of the top three, top two 
electronic packages on the market right now for super bikes. But, and it costs though. It's developed. The cost was in yeah. development. It's the software, right? Right. So providing the bikes to people, you're not saving a whole lot by saying this isn't here. In fact, you're probably costing yourself money because you have to have different systems developed for that bike, right? Whereas well, the the metal parts, the things that are going to cost a lot to make, like the wheels and the engine covers, right? Sure. That is a significant, especially when you uh, cover that over the course of sure. creating 10, 20,000 motorcycles, huge. So I could see them doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, to go back to your to your comment about the financing, though, like that cuts both ways. So imagine the guy who can really only afford a fourteen thousand dollar bike. He's only approved for that much, or that's that's just what he has in mind. He he only wants to pay what's, let's say it's two hundred bucks a month. Maybe having a bike with a lower price point, well, two hundred to two thirty a month. I can I can do two thirty a month. I can't do two fifty a month though. Sure. I can't do 270. A no month. doubt. It goes both ways. I get it. But really in the thousand CC superbike market, yeah. I just don't see it being as critical as say the 600, right? If they came down with a, a dumbed down version, I, that's probably the worst marketing speak ever. They'd probably kill me, right? <laughs> if they heard me say dumbed down, but that's what it is. If it's a dumbed down version of an R6 that revved to 11,000 instead of 14 or whatever it was, then you know, maybe you'd be hitting more people in the wall. Sorry, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And it will, I'll love to watch it play out over the course of the year. But I think it more goes along lines with the other manufacturers' bikes. Where are the prices? Mm-hmm. Which kind of blends us into the Cowie thing, unless you want to keep going with Yamaha. Was there any well, other Yamaha well, product? Let's, so let's just break it down, and then we'll go to the Cowie. Like, Jixer 1000, 13.8. CBR 1000, 14,000. Uh, ZX10R, the new one, fifteen three. The new one? Oh, sorry, sorry. This was before that. Right. The new one. The new one is sixteen yeah. and change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the old one was fifteen three, and then um, I'll have to pull up the. So uh, the the ZX10 is a full thirteen hundred dollars more than the Honda, and it was two, almost two. Th- yeah. Okay. So that's quite a bit. That makes sense though, because think how old, think how old the Jixer is and think how old the Honda is. And then Cowie updated the ZX10R in 2011. So it's a more refined package. It's got traction control and some other things that the other bikes don't have. It's, it's been updated. Yeah. So if like for me looking at the price points, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And then Yamaha comes in they're like, Hey, we've got this badass new bike. And that's how much, how much was the last year's R1? Uh, 16.5. Okay. So now it's coming in at 15. Well, the R1S is 15. That's what I'm saying. Right. So 15 puts it right in right in with those other bikes. Right. It, not it, a little I mean, bit more, but you're getting a lot more for it than a, right. let's just say, for, than a the Honda or the Suzuki. Right? right. And that's where it starts making sense. When you start looking at what it's competing against, you're like, okay, I get you. Got it. Then uh, Kawasaki comes out with a new ZX10. Right. Which is something that I'm really excited about. Right. I am too. I was surprised. I was expecting some race inspired liveries, some bold new graphics. Maybe they massage in some, some light changes. There was talk of like the, the fairings are become more aerodynamic. Like, okay, we're going to get like a real minor update. Kind of like what Honda did with the CBRs not too long ago where they kind of just changed the plastic really. Um, but no, they went, they went and did it. New suspension trick looking suspension. I don't know anything about that, but to see remote nitrogen reservoirs, Mm -hmm on a production bike, and mm-hmm. I believe they're Showa. They're Showa. Pretty sexy, right? And I, it might be all show, 
but yeah. holy crap, <laughs> is it a lot of show? And it just, it just, I don't know, it tickles the the insides to see that a, a bike like that would be coming out that trick, or it could be really. And I, I've seen them do this. They they want to kill it in superbike the way they have been, and they want to stay at the high level. Right. Those forks might be a better platform for superbike because superbike is less that you can't. They're they're making it more difficult to throw on aftermarket forks. So if you got it, like, I don't know what the rules are right now, but are they even allowed to run Olin's forks anymore? Yeah, they are. But the question is, is over the course of time, like the Evo rules, aren't they eventually going to blend into the... They're already they're already at that. I mean, that's basically what's coming up. Um, the rules are already there. I thought the Evo rules, though, were stock forks. No. no. Okay. No, it's pretty much a stock engine. Got forks, it. you can change. The, the caveat being, you can't go to electronically controlled ah. suspension unless it comes stock on the bike. Huh. Okay. And it has to be homologated that way. So like the sure. R1M would need yep. to be homologated with its um, semi-active uh, suspension. Sure, sure. But in the case of the, the Cowie, it's just got, it's not electric. It's not electronic. Electric. Sorry. Right. So it has that. The nose, it went to a little bit more of a stub nose. Not a whole lot. I mean, it still has the the angular look, but it, they rounded it in, in a really nice way. That makes it way more pleasant to look at than the past, which looked like a Klingon battleship, right? <laughs> yeah. And I never really, I mean, a Klingon battleship's just made to look evil and nasty and mm. gnarly, not necessarily aesthetically pleasing. That's what this is. It looks pretty good, even if it has the flash green graphics on it. Right. But I can imagine my you, the test for these things is make it a solid color. Paint the thing red. What would it look like red? It'd be interesting because I bet it would look okay. You paint it white, it would probably look okay. Paint it black, anything black looks good, right? That the, even the even the Quasimodo R1 looks good in black because it it just makes all the weird lines disappear, right? The Cowie does a good job, especially with the new the new livery, which does it's reminiscent of the race bikes, and right. then you I mean whatever iterative changes it sounds like they made to the rest of the bike, it's enough to be like significant. Well, that's right? the thing; it's not it's not that iterative. It's um. I mean, they really overhauled that motor. Is it the so? It's not the same engine cases. Uh, it's the same engine cases. It's the same engine dimensions, same yeah. chamber dimensions. Yeah. But the question for me, like uh, when I say iterative, if the cases are different, if the if the p- points where the engine is uh, attached to the frame, the swing arm, if all that's generally about the same, then I I'm that's why yeah, I, say I mean iterative. it's it's an update. It's not a it's not a brand new bike, but it's got a new crankshaft. It's got a new piston head. They've re they've reworked the head and the intake and the exhaust ports. Like yeah, you know they they've gone in and, sure. and 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 made some some pretty significant changes. I would say for for a mid model refresh, it's a lot more than I was a expecting. a mid model refresh that has won. At least what this last year's Superbike Championship with Johnny Ray, right? This is a great example. I definitely want to talk about this later, of us being racing enthusiasts and not knowing what's going on in World yeah, Superbike. No. Yeah, sure. It's so sad. Right. Which it's will so come sad. to. We can maybe talk about that with Nikki Hayden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to do that. All right. Sounds good. Uh, where were we with the Cowie? The the electronics. So it has an IMU now. It has yeah. a five axis IMU, and then they are using software to uh, model and generate data for the sixth axis oh it's self-simulating yeah but, but see that's very interesting because it's it's so like yamaha's system is a, a true six axis imu ducati's five um, five yeah so that's interesting but does ducati do that that little oh yeah but we're gonna we're gonna try the, and figure that was it the out. thing I, I remember asking one of the 
electronic engineers when I was in Italy last year about that. I was like, well, so this has just come out. All of this had just come out for the, the R1 having a six axis. So I asked the electronic engineer, and he his response in a very Italian way was, we're not flying an airplane. I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, right? Damn in my close. back of my head, I'm thinking, it, yeah, but you're kind of just as gnarly. Like the amount of movement rake, that's happening rake, with these yaw, motorcycles. Pitch, acceleration, yep. lean, right? Left, you know right, I mean? We're up, not in a car. BA, select it's start. It's not a freaking car, right? The yeah. thing has got a lot of different ways that it's moving around. So the question is, is I, I think in his way, it was the cocky Italian way of saying, yeah, they might say they have a six axis, but we've got that covered with other, with other software, which sounds implausible, but holy crap, is it? I believe it is. I believe it is. Just, just having ridden a lot of these bikes, we'll get to it, but I just rode the Aprilia RSV4RR. I didn't even know that existed. How many different freaking variations do they have? They have two. It's not the APCTXYZ. We'll, we'll, we'll get no? to that. We'll get to okay. that. We'll yeah. get to that. But, you know, having, and I rode the R1 that day too. I rode, uh, I rode Shane Turpin's, which was a trick machine. So I don't know how close his bike is to just stock. I'm sure not at all. But having ridden the Panigale, the 1299, the 1199, and, and all that, like, you know, there's there's some things that the Panigale doesn't do that the other bikes do. Like, if you you whack the throttle in the R1, you can control where that rear wheel, how far out it slides. It, it's a very predictable kind of thing, and you have the safety now of the electronics there. The, the Aprilia does it very well as, uh, as well. And uh, the Panigale, I just... I would never want to do it. Hmm. Did you ever experiment with the different levels of trash control? Not extensively. That, that's what I would have to say. To really definitively do it, it's worth yeah. this is this is an asphalt and rubber article just waiting yeah. to happen. Yeah. But it would be a difficult thing to do. Basically, go out and get these bikes out of control. Holy crap, how difficult is that? How difficult is that to pitch to the PR guy? Sure. Hey, right? I want to take your twenty grand bike out and probably gonna We're gonna crash cartwheel it. through three or four of these bikes by yeah. trying to do this, maybe not. But that's the deal. They're saying, oh, well, these are the safest bikes on the road now because of all these right. controls. Right. Yeah, well, only as safe as that. Still, that wrist overcomes a lot of stuff in that brain. Be the loose nut behind the bars right. gets loose, right? Well, I'll put it this way. like When you when you crack the throttle on a Panigale, if you're leaned over and you whip the throttle, it just, it just it doesn't let the bike really... It doesn't let it slide. It doesn't let it do that controlled, I'm going to break loose from you. It's the... You're being an idiot, and I need to cut the spark or reduce the throttle input. So and you're you saying it does it in a harsh way? It just does it differently. Because the the one that I, so you do you done the R1, and it'll let the tire. You'll feel the rear kind of come around on you, and then the bike goes. Mm, it'll just kind of hold it there, and then bring it right back. It's kind of and it's the same on the Aprilia. And you if you it doesn't do that on the Ducati. You do that. You make that throttle motion, and the bike just starts shutting down power and keeping the wheel from from spooling up. From a radio standpoint, I must say I'm watching. I'm watching him. Yeah, watching him do his wrist motion, I right? like, like the a, motion of the ocean wrist stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks so like. So I'm fish. really sorry yeah. that you guys can't see the way he's describing <laughs> great, all this. Great radio. Right, so the 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 time that I have spent on the 1299, mm -hmm. and I I have copious amounts of time on 1199. Right. But the 1299, I did back to back with a BMW S1000RR. HP something. Oh, the HP four. Right. So yeah. this was at the ridge, and this was going a good clip, but not not race pace. We're talking track day, somebody else's motorcycles, period, right? Good tires on both bikes, fairly fresh, uh, up to temperature. And you know, with the with the twelve ninety nine and you know, level one trash control mode, it gives me that confidence 
the BMW, you don't think, you don't have to think with the thing. But for me, boat riding both bikes, I was more concentrating on how the downshifting blipping was working than I was on the traction out because I was on somebody else's motorcycles that I wasn't hanging it out on bottom line. I just wasn't going to be comfortable with it. Yeah. It never gave me that feeling of, of too extreme though. The 1299, I would like to ride one of the, the R ones to see exactly what you're talking about. Cause I, I, I know from past experience, especially with bolt on traction control, say like a pizzazz in the rain on an 848, it's a weird feeling to have it go to a certain point and provide you drive and but more than you're still accelerating more than you would if you didn't have traction control right and it's keeping you from flying yourself to the moon high side it's a very interesting feeling and i i don't know how many people can can really experience that right but in this case is it is it a big deal for all these bikes is a six axis to five axis yeah i would say that's part of the technology it's going to come out and all these bikes are going to need to go to that next level eventually but really yeah, is the bike going to be pretty damn good with a five axis? Yeah, it's going to be fine. Right. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the 1299 is a bad bike. You shouldn't go out and buy it if that's your cup of tea. Go. And the same goes for the Cowie. That's what I'm basically right. saying with the Cowie. Right. Like, just because it says oh, it's only five axis, is that a is that a something that we should be measuring like horsepower? No, probably not. I think it is. I think it's going to be though. I think it's an, it's going to be that next bullet point where it's my bike makes 203 horsepower. Your bike makes 201. You're never going to see that difference. No, sure. You're not, not even on sure. a racetrack. You're not going to see that difference. You know, the, the f- 20 pounds I'm packing around extra on you. Yeah, that's right. the difference. Sure. <laughs> well, then the question would be is like, well, my bike has an automated robot that's doing all the controls. Nanny right. boo boo. Right? right. It's like, <laughs> where, where's the bragging rights? You know what I mean? Oh, my bike does way more to help me than yours does. So therefore I'm, I'm a better rider. <laughs> yeah. Buying skill. You got to buy the skill. Absolutely. I, I will say though, like, so, so switching gears a little bit, I was Friday at Chuck Walla. First time at that track. Awesome track. Cool track, huh? Cool track in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh it's my brutal, God. Isn't it? uh, and I was coming from Santa Barbara. So it was, I don't even know, four hour drive. Sure. In the middle of the night. It was brutal, but cool. Once you get there and you can run it either direction. Uh, Did you guys run it both directions? No, we just ran it clockwise. Okay. So I was out there for the Icon Airframe Pro uh, new helmet launch. So yeah. that's their road racing helmet. Um, one of the lightest helmets on the market, actually. It's pretty interesting. Now, I heard the rumor that it is the lightest. No, it is not. They said something about a Pista that they go, it's lighter. It's not lighter than a Pista. It isn't. No. Okay. Uh, well, I should put a, I'm putting like a little asterisk up in the air. I wear a size large. I went and weighed my helmet that I got from the press launch and I have an AGV Corsa between the two of them is a 10 gram difference. The icon being lighter, the Pista 10 gram on, on top of what? Like what is the total weight? Um, I don't, shoot, I should have written, written it down, but it's like 1500 grams. Okay. So 10 gram that's close. It's yeah. 10 grams. Like I, I was trying to figure it out like this, this soda can that I'm drinking like empty. That's like 10 grams. Yeah. Okay. So bottom line, nominal. For- nominal. And so and I should say, back that up, the Pista is about roughly 80 grams lighter okay. than the Corsa. Okay. And then there's the Nex, which no one should ever wear a uh, helmet. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Never. Just never. Just okay. don't do it. All I've right. heard too many bad I won't things. even ask. I'll put it this way. This is, And this is the thing that, kinda, that, that I wanted to talk about a little bit with the Icon. 
Uh, and then I'll get to the reason I brought the story up, which was the Aprilia that I was writing. Um, usually like when you, when you do want to talk about helmet safety, there's, there's not a lot of good information out there. It is very, uh, unclear in the marketplace. What is what? So yeah. you have a lot of brands that are saying our helmet is the safest. We, we are the most pro safety, but they don't really back that up other than with very anecdotal evidence. Well, Snell and DOT. Snell, there's a Snell really isn't. versus DOT, and that's a whole debate. And um, I think it's a debate for a good reason. Uh, TUV? On, is there is the European? That's different. So you're thinking of ECE. Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. TUV so, would be like structural motorcycle right, regulation right, okay, right. in Europe. Right. Uh, Whereas ECE is in Europe clothing regulation, right? Um, I don't know if it does clothing as well. I know it's the helmet standard. For sure it's helmet. Okay. Yeah. It's 50 countries, uh, for helmets. And that the ECE is the most modern, uh, standard. Let's put it that way. It, I would say it's better than DOT. It's probably better than Snell. It's just the most modern. It's, it's the most modern thinking about it. Is it good? Can't really say it. This is the problem. No one releases, uh, nor I shouldn't say there isn't a widespread release of crash data. There isn't really any good third parties out there testing. The UK has sharp, uh, the Australia has crash and they do show kind of a very arbitrary star rating and, you know, good, bad, mediocre, uh, impact zone ratings, but like there isn't a good place to get good concrete data on these helmets. So it's the, very the issue that I've seen is that they all drop a helmet with 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 the top of the helmet hitting the whatever surface that they're right. dropping, to their flatter around, and, and it's probably yeah. the most unanalog way to look at a, where a helmet hits, right? Whereas you'd want glancing blows off the front of the helmet as you're hitting a tree or a signpost or the ground, but you're never hitting it. Very rarely you're hitting it directly on the top of the helmet, right? Well, it's not always the top. They 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 have different impacts. Do they? Sounds. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But so that's the one the, thing I've always seen in the videos right. or whatever is the helmet dropping onto an anvil or something and then them explaining why right. it's awesome. And right. so that's the thing they do about 50 drops uh, per helmet, different zones, multiple times for repeatability. And you know, they, they have a whole scientific process. And I, I hear what you're saying about like, it's a bad analog to the street, but like a motorcycle crash is such a dynamic event. You have to, True. you have to start building it out somewhere. True. So getting back more on track. So ECE is probably one of the, the, the better guiding lights for helmet safety for now until someone decides to get serious about this kind of like the, uh, was it the IIHS, the insurance Institute for highway safety. I think mm. I got that acronym, right. Mm -hmm. Who go out, they buy the cars from yeah. the manufacturers. Sure. They crash them in the laboratory and they do their analysis above from and beyond what the U S government has done. Right. Yeah, okay. We need something like that in the motorcycling space. And I hope someone does it eventually. Um, rant, over so the icon airframe pro getting back to that what was i saying wait the the biggest indicator that i have seen on predicting safety other than just being like okay dot is good snow might be better ece's maybe best bullshit there's an inverse relation between weight and safety it is not hard to make a safe helmet it is not hard you just pack more impact foam in there more eps you and and you'll eventually make it better. The trick is how do you make that heavy process, this heavy foam into a lightweight package that isn't going to cause neck strain, that isn't going to cause uh, issues with visibility or, or roll or whatever, or whatever the aerodynamic uh, profile is going to be. 
So making a light helmet that is also safe is a very tricky business. And I would say there's only a handful of companies that have in-house crash rigs. And they seem to do a much better job than, say, the ones that don't. So like the Next, I sit there and I look at a very lightweight helmet. I've heard a lot of accusations of how Next gets their helmet so light that scare me. I won't repeat them because I haven't been able to verify them. But if you start thinking on a helmet, uh, the shell design, uh, so we have plastics and we have composites. Plastic helmets are heavier. Most companies, modern companies, are moving to a composite shell, so it's either fiberglass Kevlar, Kevlar, carbon, carbon. Kevlar, something like that. Right. You start thinking about that. I've worked a lot with composites. There's not a lot of weight difference between fiberglass and and carbon fiber. Like we're talking strength. We're getting down to that that 10 grams margin. It really is all about strength. And and the strength isn't necessarily in the shape of a helmet. Carbon strength is in different. It depends on what it's being used for. You can't just blanket statement say carbon fiber is better, but it, it depends on the resin, depends on the carbon, depends on how it's shaped, where what it depends on how it was produced. Right. There's a there's a million different there's ways. There's a lot there. Right? And 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 most of those there's very few helmets out there that are pure carbon. Usually it's a blend. So you have one sure. layer's carbon, another layer's fiberglass, another layer's yeah. something else. And so you start looking at that. So the shell weighs, once you get into a composite, minimal, minimal difference. You are not gonna drop hundred grams with a different shell. Hmm. shell design it's gonna Not all really. be from the i mean look at look at the greatest example is the the pista and the corsa are pretty much the same helmet pista has little rubber stoppers for the vents instead of an actual venting system so you take those out those weigh 10 grams or whatever hmm. so the rest of that 70 grams that's the shell weight that's the shell weight difference that's the carbon versus the carbon kevlar fiberglass huh. whatever so you think about that okay so how are you going to drop the weight well, you can use cheaper pads, you can use lighter pads or no pads, or you can start removing EPS. That's where the bulk of the weight of the helmet is. That's where you're going to make significant weight And, and when you think of EPS, it's styrofoam. It's styrofoam. Right. It's still a heavy, it's, I mean, it's a heavy styrofoam, it's sure. dense. But, you know, so that's where you start, like, understanding how these helmets are built, how these helmets are constructed. When I see a very lightweight helmet on the market, I start getting worried. That being said, the thing I like about the Icon, and I checked this with them, all the helmets for all their markets are the same. They make them out of the same factory. You know, I think they're made in China, as most helmets are, by the way. Sure. Um, but the helmet that comes to the U.S. is the same helmet that goes to Japan, which is the same helmet that goes to Australia. Why is that a note? Or is that not well, the case? In- uh, some companies build helmets for the market. They'll say, like, this is an ECE helmet, or that's a DOT helmet. Huh. And they'll build them to spec, and it'll be slightly different things. So the thing I like about the fact that they're all coming out of the factory the same. That means these helmets that are coming to the U.S. meet the ECE standard. Yeah. The ECE standard being the most modern standard. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it's a great standard, but it's the one that's been revised the most recently. It's the one that's been thought about in the most current way. And so, like, I at least have a little bit more faith in that than I say I would one that is just purely made for the DOT market and has that same weight. Well, one thing I noticed on that helmet is that there's a, a fairly good-sized cutaway at the neck in the back right. of the helmet, right? which allows you to to move your, he- your head forward. No? I don't know. I, w- yeah, I was wondering that, how that worked. Yeah, so and if that's, if so, that was there's actually a significant amount of material maybe that could have come from that area. Right. And that's and that's and that was probably the other thing I should have brought up. So that, that was one of the big features of the helmet is there's this trapezoidal cutout, I should say, yeah. Um, right behind the neck. 
And the, the idea behind that is so that it won't interfere with the speed hump on your leathers. It won't interfere with uh, a high um, collar on your jacket. It's an issue I've never had with a helmet. Maybe I have one jacket that has a very high collar, but that usually hits in the front, not the back. So for me, I kind of look like it's like a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. But that being said, you can look at that and say, yeah, I bet you got a couple hundred grams out of that. And it's in an area that isn't that critical, right? I would I would worry a little bit about like protecting the brainstem in that area. But to be fair, it, it comes down so low Uh Anyways, like I don't feel like my head's exposed. I just feel like maybe it's just not out as far. So yeah, it might actually be a pretty good compromise on on safety versus weight because I, I do think it is one of those spots, especially if you have a speed hump, that probably isn't going to take an impact and, and probably if that cutout wasn't there, I don't know how much added safety you're actually getting. Well, the question is then when your neck is moved back fore and aft, right? It allows more movement. So would that be bad, right? Because, yeah. you know, that would that goes against say the Hans device or any manner of the neck, you know, holding things that just trying to keep your head from bobbing around, which is what will break your neck and, or break collarbones or, you know, yeah, I I can go at that argument both ways. So for me, it's like one of those things where like I can see both sides pretty well. And at the end of the day, I really don't think it's going to change the price of bread. So, you know, yeah, great. I mean, and, and the helmet beyond that is it's a, pretty good helmet well i hate i hate to say something like really good about an icon helmet because it's something inside me that's like oh that doesn't make sense but it's like no it's a really good helmet it vents really well has really good optics the brow uh isn't in your way when you're trying to look through a turn like it's a pretty good road race helmet and you know i think and it looks good it looks, i will say it looks good some of these helmets do not look good they have a weird gawkiness it's hard to explain but this one looks pretty solid looks pretty solid uh, i'll show you mine after the show, okay, you can you can look check it out. Um, there are certain things about it that look very, I would say, are very icon esque, like the the chin apron, like that's gonna last you a month. That's just a garbage piece of whatever. Um, there's a couple, there's one or two vents where you're kind of like, after a couple of months, I just can't see that thing working anymore. Like the the little switch, you're like no, but that's that's speculation. switch gear. That's yeah, speculation. It's speculation. But like you can tell, like you look at something the switch gear on the Arai, and you're like, that's a good switch that helmet switch especially the new corsair x corsair 10 that that switch is going to last you a long time whereas like on the old like arise you're like yeah that thing that thing breaks after you sure. know a couple months okay. yeah it's the same way where you look at like just the quality of it the flimsiness you're like okay some of the stuff may not last the test of time but you know other parts seem good it's just one of those things that, like there's still some kind of icon kind of budget brandness to it and at the end of the day, it's still like, so my carbon fiber one is a $600 helmet, whereas the non-carbon fiber, I think, is low 400s. So at a $600 price point, that starts opening you up to a lot of other helmets. It's like a Bell Star Carbon is about the same price. There's um, some lower price showies and a, and a rise at that price point, AGV. You know, like you're going to th- start... I don't know. I, I, if it was priced at like 400 bucks for the carbon one, I would be like, man, this is the deal of the century. If you're yeah. a budget racer, if you're a guy that crashes a lot and goes through, or I shouldn't say crash a lot, but goes through helmets a lot, maybe this is the good helmet that you can buy for a first, first season. But 600 bucks is tough. I don't know. I think that might be the Achilles heel. I think that might be the thing about it I don't like the most. I'm still kind of formulating my thoughts on it. Well, I've had a variant now, I think, for three years. So this is the Icon adventure tour style with the brow the uh 
Yeah, I've shade. got two of them because I crashed in one. Yeah, right. So Which I, I should say it crashed well. I was very impressed. Sure, fair enough. So I have a Ghost Carbon. Yeah, good looking helmet. And it's it's been surprisingly, the, the for me, the test of a helmet is the time. Yeah. I was sponsored by KBC, which is a Korean company back in about 10 years ago when I was racing. Right. And they were fine. You put them on, they're fine. They worked okay. Uh, optics weren't great, not compared to an RI. The comfort level was okay, but only for so long. You get a few cycles of sweat, and then the interior starts degrading. Oh, yeah. it's and one of just those. they start falling apart in ways that you just don't like. Yeah. Whereas an awry, I have my awry from 1993. Yeah, me too. I don't, I, I wouldn't wear it as a protective device, but I have it. It, if you put it on, it's still comfortable. Yeah. That's, yeah. and I mean, we're, we're talking. It's like little, mine was like, mine, mine's not that old. It had the micro fleece, but I can. Sure. I had a quantum. And then, sure. Yeah. If yeah. it wasn't that old of a helmet, if I hadn't had it sitting out in the sun, and this is something we should bring up. Helmets don't go bad sitting on a shelf. This is, a, I think, a misconception that people don't have. They have yeah. like that, oh, you know, you have to replace your helmet every five years. If your helmet has sat on a shelf for five years, it's still okay. If it's been sitting on the sun and you've been using it every day and sweating in it yeah. for five years. That's what degrades is, the material. It is right? not okay. Sure. Yeah, it is your sweat. It is UV light. It is getting bumped around the the 300 times that, you know, you kind of dropped it like, you know, three inches and didn't think twice about it because yeah. that's it's not loosening stuff up in the structure that's causing it to be right. a little less sound. Right. right? Sure. Exactly. Got it. Well, I, that's the deal for me. That's why for the, I've been choosing a rye for years and years and years to come back to, but the variant has proven to be a comfortable helmet over the years riding in dirt. That's the, that's the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I have a, this is getting grime everywhere. Oh yeah. It's horrible. But I have an Arai XD. Yeah. Whatever one is the, the equivalent. Adventure, yeah. The, the big, the big plus for me is that the variants, um, the shield, the, uh, the mm-hmm. what you call that the comes over visor the visor well no, it's not the visor it's like a it is kind of a visor though right well, the vi- i would always think so this is this is actually a fun america versus europe thing we say shield they say visor oh for the clear thing for you're the, looking for through the thing you're looking through is, is a as a visor whereas we might would say like a visor or a brim on a hat yeah kind sure of thing. yeah so okay so that part it when you're going 100 miles an hour um not that I would ever do that on public roads, Never. but if you ever if you happen to be doing 100 miles an hour somewhere, thing doesn't sweat it no, at good. all. It's really like, good. I like you could do a track day with the variant. Whereas the Arai, it's a big visor. It's much more. There's more shade for sure, but not that much more. And it just it's un- almost uncontrollable. Right? I've been very impressed with my variant. I took it uh, the first time I rode with it was on this trip to Europe, and I crashed in it. But I put in a probably good 1500 miles on that before before I went down was very impressed with it and um this new one like i i, I will say that th- i think the helmet line or the, the the newer helmets coming out of icon are the best ambassadors for bringing the non-squid bait guys to that brand yeah sure and now they've got the raiden line for the invention touring the icon 1000 still like that's the hipster line like i still think that's just squid bait stuff but they're they're definitely getting some stuff and i think the airframe pro is is a great example of that that reaches out into a demographic that isn't necessarily buying icon stuff right now. Sure. Especially if you, you get one of the solid colors or sure. the more racy graphics instead of the, um, I don't know. I remember seeing one that had a Pharaoh on it. I think it's literally it's, called, it's called the, the Pharaoh. Pharaoh there, right? There's a better one. Oh, what's it called? I was trying to remember today. 
I've seen a couple of the designs, and they are full street skippy awesome. Oh, right? there's one. It's not called Stunt the Pussy Patrol, but it to totally desire. should be. Oh, what is it called? Sorry, I don't know. There's uh, one with like... It's like, like a lady. It's yeah, like a half-naked lady in space with a space, ray gun. The space naked lady one, oh, yes. Oh, my God. What's it called? <laughs> They're not naked, but I write. She's darn close to it. Aww. It is not something I would want my mother to see. No, but it's great. It's hilarious. I would totally wear I, one. If somebody said, you? here, you need, to, you need to wear one this, I would totally wear it. We can make that happen. Yeah, sure. We can totally make that happen. <laughs> Okay, we need to we need to move cycling sure. cycling on um, bike up. stuff. Are we done with bikes? You were going to talk about the Aprilia because you were riding that with that. I was. Did we finish our thousand cc? I think we did. We covered the Cowie. We covered the R1. I'll just do this. I'll just say the rode the Aprilia RSV4 RR, which is the lower spec version of the RSV4. Okay, it's lower spec. It's the lower spec. So there's the RSV4 RF now. And that's the cool suspension, good wheels. So it's like stuff. factory. F is in fact because exactly. back in the day, a factory used to be the right. It's okay. the race factory, and they used to they used to call it the factory. So this is the thing with Aprilia; they really need to. Okay, Aprilia really needs to get their they, shit they need together. To do a lot Let's of just be really, really <laughs> honest. Aprilia, if you're listening, you need to get your shit together. And this, I'm talking to Italy right now. Italy, you need to wake up, smell the coffee, and get your shit together. And then you need to wake up the people in New York at Aprilia USA, give them a shake and a slap, and then be like, hey, Aprilia USA, get your shit together. Because you guys make great bikes, and you're horrible at everything else. Yeah, because you come up there thing. every year, the RSV4 goes through some alphabet soup name change. And it blew my mind when it was the RSV4 APRC double r whatever factory abs i was like just stop it just stop it already yeah because this bike is amazing it is one of the best bikes on the market and you sell like 200 of them a year in the u.s and it's a crime it's horrible it's the they are the best kept secret in the motorcycle industry I, i i would totally buy one if i had any faith in the aprilia brand in the american market because one i don't even know who our dealer is I don't area. think there is one. I don't think there is one in the in uh, the greater Portland yeah, area. I think I'd have to drive at least an hour or two. The parts I know for a fact that the parts issue has gotten better. I wouldn't say it's great. I will say I've probably never gotten a Prilia press bike and not had an issue with it. So we also rode the Kappa Nord um, at Chuckwalla. No, no, no. I we I had um, we did some touring around on it. That's a whole other story. Okay. Uh, you, oh, you met my, my buddy Tim. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So we were we were zipping around on that, and, and of course it has some stupid pulley issue that it shouldn't have because again, pulley. A, uh, it was the pulley for the exhaust valve. Oh, okay. For the X up exhaust valve. Okay. And you just sit there and you're just like, I don't know if they come from Italy like that. I don't know if it's because they're so swamped in Costa Mesa and they're just not being able to get the bikes the once overs that they need. Whatever the issue is, it needs to be fixed because it just it just kills me inside. Because when you get these bikes and they're not perfect and you just sit there and you're like, why? But I will say the RR, $16,000 bike. Oh, really? Right. Holy crap. So I didn't, I would, I was, see, when you said RR, my head said, oh, that must be the super whammy. Right. No, no, no. $25,000. The RF is like the 20, no, I want to say it's it. like 21, 22, I 20, get it, something like that. But it's RR, right? But here's the kicker, right? The motor is the same. So it's that same 201 horsepower motor. It's yeah. that same bitchin' sure. APRC electronics, which are some of the best on the market and have been for like the last however many years that bike's been out. Yeah, sure. That was, that's where I say I need to do the research. I don't know if the R1 necessarily, if you get down to the tech specs, is better than that. But it's either the Aprilia or the Yamaha system are, are the pinnacles of the industry right now. Yeah, okay. Uh, 
it doesn't have the lighter wheels. So we talked about that already. Sure. Suspension. So yeah, like, but for sixteen grand for 16 on an grand. on Aprilia like that. So like I could see like that could be a tough that'd be a tough sell between like the R one and the Aprilia, especially you know when you look at like what the brands bring to the table. Sure. But like, come on, if you're in the market for a Cowie or if you're in the market for a CBR or a Ducati, heaven forbid, or an MV, like here is a really good bike and they've sorted that bike now. Some of the issues I had with the gearbox when I first rode it a couple of years ago are gone. The quick shifter is so much better than it used to be. Like my, my big gripes from getting on the bike and when I say gr- big, like there were minor issues are, are pretty much but your they, gripes. We'll call are, them gripes. The gripes. My gripes are pretty much gone. And I just sit there and just like, this is an amazing bike for 16 grand. I you was, sure it wasn't just the helmet you had the helmet on. You're like, man, this thing is just so good. There was a little bit. So this is my first time on the like track. Rose colored helmets. Oh, ro- rose colored helmets. Viewing it through no, a rose colored t- shield. Tinted visor, not the, not the colored <laughs> visor. visor. Yeah. Not a colored visor. No, shield. Oh man. Uh, now I can't even remember which one we say. Uh, I got Sorry. I, gotta, I had to I say gotta, it. I just sketch that. Bottom line. It's it's an amazing machine it's on an amazing track. Machine. Yeah, right? loved it on the track. Um, I mean, that, that was like for me. I was like, if I'm in the market for a superbike right now, that's probably the one I get. Like, no joke. It is. It's definitely got to be on your list. Like, you have to go out and ride one. Yeah, sure. And I'd the, be tempted and, by the Cowie just because the Cowie is uh, just rude. Sure, sure. It just looks rude and but, it's new and it's interesting. Whereas the Aprilia, it needs a facelift, even though it still looks good. It's still it's it's a good just, looking bike. You know, they keep getting the bold new graphics and might make it okay. Like the one that you wrote at the picture, I saw a picture of you on yep. the silver. Yep. It looks great. It's a good friends of mine are running or had run this past year the AMA Superstock uh, Houston Superbikes team. Good buddy of mine named Ronnie Saner was crew chief. Good buddy of ours. I, Pardon me. Fair enough. Sorry. Sorry. Don't take my friends away from right. me. I don't no, have no, a lot no, of them, no. Quentin. He's only my friend because of your friend because of me. Right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, whatever. So let's be honest. If you stop talking to me, he would stop talking to me. Too. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So Ronnie's <laughs> awesome, and he he was able to get these things immediately in the super stock trim. Uh, competitive like it didn't take much and that's actually a very heavy motorcycle it's 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag known as a blivet so that is a blivet motorcycle even though it doesn't look it you get on it it feels like almost a 250 it's really small yeah. right oh super but small. there's a lot packed into that v4 that v4 is tight it's and it's right it's and it's bitching. good so it's dense okay so that was his only issue from a super stock standpoint was that they had to they had to they had to make some concessions to make it handle right because it is a dense package and that's what they're up against but they did pretty well with Sheridan Morice right off the bat i mean the kid was fast once he got on it it was pretty impressive right halfway through the season the kid gets on it and was top 5 top 3 podiums and mm-hmm. that's of note right of course uh the team had already been established and Ronnie is one with a bunch of other brands. It wasn't a big surprise that he was able to do it, but that bike is good. The bottom line is the bike is good. It's an impressive thing. And the here it's at a price point of 16. I didn't know that. I I really, that's, that's coming from left field. I would have expected, which goes back to Aprilia's main problem. No one knows what's going on. I know it. I worked for Ducati for seven years and I have no idea because they've just been such a non-factor Yeah, because you know, we would sell, thousands of Panigales a year, but there would be 200 to a thousand of those, right? I had a great conversation with Michael Locke and I forget what year it was, but it was the first year that they won Superbike with Biagi. Michael Locke was former CEO of Ducati. Ducati. Yeah. Yeah. I drove down to his house when he was still living in Santa Cruz and we had a little chat and it was, it was, this is, he'd already left Ducati, but it was really interesting to hear him say, he's like, you know, I should be biased towards the Panigale, but I, that Aprilia is the best bike on the market. 
hands down. But we're going to outsell them by a thousand bikes or 2000 bikes, whatever it yeah, is. Whatever. An obnoxious amount. And it's like, he's like, that's not a product problem. That's a marketing problem. Yeah. You know, that's a business problem. Like you're sitting here, you have a bike that just won world Superbike. You have a bike. It's going out and winning all the road tests, um, from all the major print magazines. It's, it's competitively priced. It has got, you know, this world-class electronic system. Cause at that time, like, you know, bikes were just starting to kind of get the traction control electronic sure. things. It was just think, starting to come along. I think you might have mistakenly said Panagai. I think when Locke was around. Oh, was, you're right. It was a 1098. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm, and I in that stage, the 1198 did have traction control, but nothing like nothing what like really came out yeah. with, right? Yeah, I did miss so. Um But he's just like straight up, you know, they're going to sell. They'll be, they'll be happy to sell 200 units. And yeah. it's just like, that's just, it's not a product problem. So look at the rest of your business and figure out what it is. All right. And that's, enough. and that's, I think, True to this day. Sure. Uh, we should get we should get moving on. Oh yeah. Um what do you want to talk about next? Oh man, so many things. There's so many things. Um let's talk about Nikki Hayden, because that kind of cause we we glanced on it. So Nikki going from MotoGP to World Superbike on a Honda. On a Honda. Uh which is depressing for most of us who know that the Honda is not there. It's not horrible, but it's not great. It's going to be a struggle. He's going to have to override the crap out of it next year because it's not going to be updated. But the idea is that for 2017 there will be some sort of an update. The 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 rumor is, I mean, I haven't heard anything definitive like I have with uh, like the Suzuki the Suzuki teams, but the 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 scuttlebutt is we will see a new Honda 1000cc bike for the 2017 model year. Right. And if so, then hopefully there's something that gives Nikki a little bit more, but he's going to then have to relearn a bunch of tracks, even though he's going to be going to a lot of the same tracks, uh, learning how to ride a, a, a glorified street bike, man, completely right. different than a MotoGP bike. And, and, and I think it's fair to preface too, the world Superbike champion right now, Jonathan Ray coming from Honda on that bike, which is basically the same bike yeah. that Nikki will be getting on. Sure. And he won some races. He got some podiums, but by and large, that bike was uncompetitive, and he you was struggling, struggling, riding and, the crap and out it was of it a to get it to do it. Testament to his riding abilities, and you see the former World Superbike champion Sylvain Guintoli struggling on yeah. that bike this year. Yeah, so it is a mountain to climb. But Honda, Honda money, Honda, Honda money. North America money, and I think I'm sure, and I think Honda. I think part of signing Nikki, it's it's them. I wouldn't say they were not serious before, but I think they're serious and they got uh, Mar- Michael, Michael Vandermark. Vandermark. Not Mark Tenkate? So Tenkate is the team. <laughs> Tenkate, Tenkate, as he would say. Tenkate. They're a Dutch team. They're actually, they're really close to the track in Assen. Um, An amazing team that have been doing really well for a long time. A and strong and history and still of, this of success. this bike kind yeah. of has been long in the tooth, right? Right. So I'll be very, I'll be... Yeah, I think I think 2016 we're not going to expect too much from Nikki. I think he'll be up at the pointy end. I think he'll be a top five rider. I think if you're a fan and you think Nikki Hayden's going to win the championship in 2016, you're out of your mind. 2017, I think things could get interesting. Nikki, I there's a bunch of people like a lot of weird hate. Not like I hate Nikki Hayden, just kind of like dismissive. Dude is a world champion, a MotoGP world champion. You can't take that away. There's no asterisk to it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. The dude beat Valentino Rossi straight up to win that championship. Did he win a bunch of races? No. doesn't matter. No. He's the world champion. Yeah. Right? He is an excellent motorcycle racer. 
right? He is excellent. You can't write the guy off just because 10 years ago he won a championship and has had to struggle since then. He was in a bad position with Honda as being an American big dude racing with Pedrosa. The little puppet was fucking... The, they built the bikes off of him. And then they went to 800s, and it was basically Nikki getting on a three-quarter size bike. Ah, that was very frustrating for most of us to watch. So when he went to Ducati, it was like, good. But then, you know, he had to deal with Ducati for years, and that wasn't exactly a good and we situation. We had the, the, the luxury of retrospect where you can say now, oh, yeah, Ducati was just on its yeah, downward slope sure. into a real best. That was a luxury, but at the time, he was getting on the bike that Casey Stoner just won a championship with or were close enough right so there was still riding on high with that so he's had a struggle of it but he's he's done phenomenally well as an ambassador to racing as an ambassador in the united states as an ambassador to to, to superbike racing in the united states as an ambassador to flat track i mean as an ambassador to kentucky even right seriously the <laughs> yeah. kid has done an excellent job representing himself he was always known in the ducati circles as being a very good person to work with, right? Here's here's a great testament to how Nikki Hayden's peers, colleagues, and I wouldn't say fans, but you know people that work with him uh, on a non-direct basis appreciate him. When he announced his move from uh, MotoGP to Superbike, the room was a standing ovation. Yeah. He is so respected by his fellow riders, by other teams, his teammates, the dude. I mean, I've gotten to work with him on on a personal level a little bit. The dude is a professional. Yeah. You know, consummate professional. Constant. He works his butt off. He is a great ambassador. I think anyone that has like a bad, like Nikki story, like, oh, he didn't sign my autograph, whatever. I would want to know, I would love to see that situation and I would put nine tenths out of the nine out of 10 of those situations on the dude who, who thinks it's Nikki's fault Yeah, totally. because I just don't see it. And yeah. maybe the other one in 10 is like, you woke him up on one. You were pounding Same on goes door. for anybody I knew that worked in the AMA paddock that worked with him or around him. Uh, cause I worked with plenty, um, and never a bad word. Right. And then all the racers shoot. I raced one twenty fives back in the uh, early 2000s, not long after he had come through. So a lot of people I knew raced against him when he was a little kid racing against 125ers, right? So always good, always good. The whole family, right? Every, I mean, Rose, Hayden, every, all of them are great people. So you want to see him do well. At least those of us who are enthusiasts want to see him do well. Uh, I hate people that are hating on him, but you know, some people don't like him because he, he's got an accent. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. You're going to everything east of the 15 freeway is Kentucky to, to the West coast. Right. <laughs> so they're going to look at that as a bad thing. But I, I say, no, that's Americana. I heard a very bad rumor though, that he's, he's gotten away from the idea of get, getting a grand slam, which would mean getting a mile uh, flat track race under him. And this is just conjecture. This is rumor that I read on the internet. So it's the worst thing. But when I saw that there was a rumor about that, that kind of, that took a little wind out of my sails. Cause I would love to see him come back and win a mile someday, right? So that's my personal Nikki want, is to see him win a mile and get a Grand Slam. Superbike, short track, TT, uh, mile. That would be rad. World, But if he does World Superbike Championship and he gets up there, that would be cool too. Well, that was the thing. He has the potential of being the first MotoGP World Superbike Champion, co-champion. Yeah, that's never happened, has it? Never before. That's right, because Ben Spees was not able to make it happen. Okay. All right, so we covered Nikki. 
Um, did we want, we had something that had to go in line with Nikki and Honda and Kawasaki, but that was it. Was that, that was talking about the Honda and that it's basically, it's castrated by virtue of its age. There it is. Great bike. Nothing wrong with it. Just not, not the cutting edge. And they need to, they, what they need to do is make a sweet V4 version. That's what they need. <laughs> well, they did. The, the only problem is it costs $184,000. Yeah, no, I mean a real, real one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think that that's the angst with that. With yes. the RC twenty one three VS, another bike that could use some marketing mm-hmm. touches. I think everyone wanted that bike to be this twenty thousand, fifteen thousand, sure. whatever Keeps motorcycle. Be the bike. Because because we want that. We want that update from the Honda CBR. You know, the bike is so old now. It's so old. And it's a universal Japanese motorcycle, four cylinder in line, straight across. No no cool crank trickery, nothing. I mean that's fine, but it's boring. I'm gonna throw this out here, V5. Oh yeah, sure. How awesome would that be? Sure. And that's that's what people wanted. No, totally. That's what people wanted. No, it's a given. Yeah, no. But they wanted that RC21, 211 V. RC211 V. Yeah. Well, that's that's so. That's, that was back in the day. That's not least, how you're supposed to say it, but yeah. yeah well, it doesn't make I any it. doesn't make any damn sense. I when disagree you say with it the Honda you. way. I think you're wrong. Oh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> you're an idiot. 211 V. Get out of my house. <laughs> take take the cat with you. <laughs> gladly that's horrible that's like a threat that's not that's a threat horrible. that's like a oh present God. never get a kitten oh my geez uh, okay all right next uh autonomous vehicles we wanted to talk about that all right well so i didn't or do you want to do you want to for that at the end well we've do already about, do you want to talk about ge first yeah sure let's talk quick... about ge and let's do the autonomous vehicles okay. so i think g's quick i think we're gonna go down the rabbit hole with autonomous vehicles okay. all right ge so the story is ge capital got out of the lending game and lending on various levels in the motorcycle industry and the automotive industry as a whole, or on a much larger scale, I should say. They got out of that, man, was it like a year or two ago? And they're just now getting around to selling the business to uh, someone else. And it looks like the buyer is going to be Wells Fargo. Because oh, that's not 100% yet, but it's closing in on it? Right. I think um, I think the deal is pretty much inked and done. I think they're having not seen anyone say it, but I'm sure there has to be some... Uh, antitrust analysis done by okay, so the government to make sure that's a good a good thing. But it's I don't an see escrow, it. as it were. Yeah, I'm sure there's. I don't know if it's in a true escrow, but yeah, it, it's it's expected to close uh, early 2016. Well, Wells Fargo owns my house, so that's why I have the escrow in, in, in my house. Oh yeah, right? and I don't know how I feel about it. All these big banks, like I was a Bank of America for years and years, and it's horrible. So I got out. Now I'm a credit union guy, and so the fact that Wells Fargo owns my house because it was very cheap money back a few years ago when I bought sure. it. Um, it's when, you're, hard. when you're buying a house, absolutely, you go shopping interest rates. Absolutely, and yep. that's what I got. But would I be glad to switch that over to uh, credit union? Yeah, but not to the point where I'm willing to do it now. You guys, uh, didn't, you guys didn't refinance. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't really see any need to. I don't really want to. We, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'll say that right. But right now, shoot, I, we bought the thing in 2012, and it's up. It's up, up. Portland is hot. But oh, man. My, my neighbor just sold their place, and I'm just looking at like, hmm. awesome. Hmm. Thank, you for, thank you for my raising property value. Right. Well, then that, but that comes. And I think in. they sold it low. That's the best part. I'm sitting there looking at like, like my property value going up 50% in one, in one year. Yeah. And I think it's low. 
Yeah. That's silly. That's well, it'll so be interesting silly. to see how you feel about it once the... The bubble bursts? Well, no. Once the local state government resets the how much you owe per year in taxes because... Oh, I'm getting hosed so hard. Right? Oh, man. They see me and it's because it's newer construction. <laughs> yeah, oh, my so gosh. That's what I pay I'm up the nose. That's where a lot of people are like, oh, well, there's no... There's no uh, Sales tax here in Portland. Yeah, yeah they, get you. They, oh, they, they get this you. Is, this is the thing. This is totally off topic. When it comes to taxes, whether like like Washington State, yeah. no personal income tax, Sure, they always get you. Oh, yeah. They always, like, you may not be paying it in property, but you're going to pay it in sales, and you're sure. going to pay it in the state, and sure. you're going to pay it in any other way uh, come April 15th. Like, at the end of the day, a state government costs X amount of dollars or X percentage of dollars to run, run. Sure. and it's got to come from somewhere, whether it's in your assessments or what have you, or your day-to-day municipal Especially bills. in a state like this where they just give out all kinds of free stuff. And free letters. Oh, it's free. Everything's free. See, so what we should have done, we should have moved to Vancouver, gotten uh, no personal income tax, yeah. and then shop here and then for just, the sales And just buy tax, everything here, sure. And then just hate our lives because we live in Vancouver, Washington, <laughs> and just do meth yeah, all day Van, long. Van, Vancouver, Washington, not BC. Let's make sure that's Very clear. Sure. Yeah, Vancouver, British Columbia, beautiful. Amazing totally, place. Totally right? would move there. Lionsgate sure. Bridge, done. Vancouver, Washington, that's where dreams go to die. Bad deal. It's a, it's, I mean, this is Quentinism. It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. This is the best part is, I think we totally just alienated a single city in just three minutes. Like, no one from Vancouver and, is ever going to listen to this podcast now. No fucks are given. Zero fucks. They're all in my pockets. Zero I still fucks. got all my I got fucks. A, I'm I got not a giving any. Bag of fucks that I'm going to give out for <laughs> Halloween. My van fits fucks so well. It's just because it's a big square van. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fucks coming out. <laughs> there's, there's my fucks. They're going. Okay. Sorry. So, I like, I like that we can be very serious about a banking issue. <laughs> I knew it would be go this way. All right. So, the bottom line is G Capital finances. Most of these dealerships. So that, that, that I want to try and get this explained to the yeah. to the general public because this is a big deal. It's a bigger this deal is, than most people understand. This is a big deal that right? I think <laughs> I don't like to toot my horn on this one. But it's a big deal. But this is the only. This is a story that only asphalt and rubber covered, and I don't know why. And I think it's purely because a lot of people, probably a lot of enthusiasts, don't care about what the financing deal and the, but the reason they don't care is because they don't understand why sure. they should. Sure. So that's why I figured it would be a good thing to talk about to make them understand. Right, let's drop some knowledge. Right. So when a dealership has 50 bikes on the floor, they don't own those motorcycles. Mm. They might own a couple of them if they're brand new or used. Yeah, for sure. Used. Right. But most of the time right. those are financed. Right. Through GE and it's or, or someone, but GE's sure, been the but biggest GE's one, the biggest big one. And right? I and I should say when when you have an institutional bank like that, or you have an entity like GE that is huge, they're gonna they're more likely to be able to give better rates and better terms because they can diversify the risk over so many things. Whereas like if I'm Bob's motorcycle flooring insurance or flooring loaner, like I probably my liabilities are so high, I probably have to give you know, a loan at 8% when GE can come in and do it at like 3%. And it costs, so it costs the dealerships costs a the lot dealership of money more. per month. Right. And each month they have to play this thing called flooring, right? right? And each bike could be, it could be a hundred bucks a bike mm-hmm. easily, right? Every month, which is what gives them the incentive to sell the machines. And depending on the manufacturer, you get the machines at their whim sometimes. You put in orders, sometimes it's yearly. In the case of Ducati, everybody puts their order in and then then it gets managed throughout the year. Some manufacturers do it differently, but bottom line is sometimes you're at the mercy. And all of a sudden, you're going along, it turns into a bad year and it's April, right? And you think, oh, hey, I'm getting ready, I'm ramping up, I'm excited, but but it's been crickets. And this has happened in the past few years where 
the economy hasn't quite done the thing it's going to do or right. it's a bunch of we're selling toys and not everybody's spending the money on these toys or whatever so then you're and, st- and stuck with these bikes sitting on the floor that you haven't sold and you're getting charged for it because it's ge flooring right, right. sorry go ahead i was just going to interject there they're toys it's consumer discretionary income which are being bought on credit and that's yes. and that's the other yes. side of the coin. So you have sure. the B2B side, which is the flooring and the lending Say of money. B2B. What, what is B2B? Business to business. Okay. So you have okay. GE Capital lending money to the dealer or providing flooring for the dealer. They're also probably lending the money to um, revamp their showroom sure. or sure. buy parts or whatever. Sure. So there's there's that's a third side of it. But then you also have the B2C side of it where like I come in as a consumer, business this is business to consumer. I come in as a consumer and say, hey, I want to buy that motorcycle. I don't have the $16,000, so can you loan it to me? And they you know, take my info, check my credit score, and GE Capital will say, yeah, we'll totally give Jensen a loan at X percent because uh, he's a great guy, and here you go. So GE is also very competitive in that market, again, because they can diversify their risk. They have all those options. It's um quick tangent. It's actually one I think the greatest advantage that Ducati got uh, through the VW acquisition sure. was the ability to go in and dip into the VW credit yeah. uh, scheme. Because like I bought my uh, Hyper Motard the best deal, and I had great credit. The best deal was through v- Volkswagen's uh, credit lending. Yeah, and and you look at Harley Davidson, Harley Davidson Financing Services. Sure. That is ten percent of Harley Davidson's business. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, and when you think about like that's, you know, hundreds of million dollar company, like they're just raking in that extra debt. Well, that's a big part of any motorcycle business, which sure. is why, which is why there's incentives to the dealers to get you to finance the bike over cash. Exactly. Like think of people think they're coming in and paying with cash and they're going to get a better deal from the dealer. Not necessarily. The other way around. Sure. They're getting a kickback for, I'm sure, I'm sure our friends at Motocorsa got a couple hundred bucks or whatever because I financed through VW versus paying in cash. And that's what that's part of doing business. You are paying your fine. money. It's worth your money. You feel to to buy money, basically, right? You're like, hey, I need this. I need it now. I need this now. I want it right now, right? And that's the way a lot of this is. So yeah. you say, I, it is worth my money to do this instead of tying up all the money I have in my bank, say, or not being able to buy the vehicle. I mean, this is this is probably getting more finance heavy than than we intended, but. In, in general, you should probably never borrow money on a depreciating asset. That being said, for the last how many years, we've had almost zero inflation and lending at the institutional level has been basically free. So like this idea of free money, people have a hard time with that concept. But the lending rates are so low that it's almost in a way with the time value of money and, and the way that finances work, it's almost better to or at least it was, to finance a purchase. This is the same reason why the housing market's still hot right now because lending rates for mortgages are like at 2%. And you're like sitting there like, well, man, you're practically giving it to me. Or like some of these motorcycle deals that I'm seeing are 0%. Sure. 0%. There's no detriment financially in purchasing it at 0%. Your money can be sitting in your bank making shitty percentage whatever or you can be playing the market or yeah you could be putting it into something making your money instead of it sitting in that right in the bike right right? so so there's some advantages but in general you're buying a depreciating asset with something with an interest rate not the greatest ideas but that's the american market that's that's the credit card lifestyle a lot of us are living and that's just the nature of the beast and that's where ge capital comes in 
And so they're, they're helping consumers do that. They're helping businesses do that, leverage their money. And Wells Fargo is going to be, so is there detriment to it? I don't see it really. It's a big enough institution where it'll be like, it'll be just, here's meet great. the new boss, same as the old boss, right? I think it's great in the sense that if GE Capital were to just go away, because that's kind of what it seemed like. They're just like, okay, we're going to get out of this business. Good luck, guys. That was going to be a huge issue. It was going to be a huge issue, especially for companies like like Eric Beal Racing got GE Capital financing. So let's say one of the things like that was one of the helpers of that brand to to get into dealerships. Like, oh, well, GE is going to finance you? Yeah. Great. Now we if, don't have to if, like... If we, don't we have, have GE behind it, it makes it justifiable for me to bring the brand in as right. a motor, right. motorcycle shop owner. It helped. Right. right. Okay. Right. Instead of having to go through like some third parties like, oh, you guys already have uh, an established process to get uh, these bikes uh, finance for consumers and something like great done deal. So for me having uh bridge or not Bridgestone, Wells Fargo come in and say, Hey, we're going to take that over another top tier banking institution. We're talking one of the largest lending institutions in the United States. Yeah. Huge thing for the motorcycle industry, just in keeping, um, things on the dealer side, on the B2B side, moving forward as they were, and also keeping things going on the B2C side, making sure that consumers have access because so many of these, so many of these bikes are being bought on credit. So having access to good lending institutions is is vital. People don't realize like how vital that is. Like if you if you couldn't get a loan for your motorcycle, you probably wouldn't buy one. Sure. Who's saving up twenty grand to go buy a Panigale in right. cash, or fifteen to go buy an R one? Right. That, Sixteen. Ten, twelve, twelve thousand to buy an R six. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of money. Sure. So, um, yeah, I think, but is it a lot of money? Because we grew up in a time when $20,000 was what it right now, it's $40,000 the way it was in the nineties. Right. So it's a strange thing. I, you know, you hear people say, well, I remember when dollar, dollar nine, I get a gallon of gas. Right. It's like, yeah, that's just part of inflation. So you shouldn't freak out that it's two eighty five, Right. I look at in the sense of, you know, I think we, we talk a lot in the industry about, uh, especially like millennials and and how do we get this video game generation to, into motorcycles and it's like this is still a generation it's like it comes down to choices like hey i can go i'm gonna use a jet ski which is a bad example i'm gonna go get that windsurfing kit and it costs me five grand but i can put it on a credit card and i can get it and it, i can get it today i don't have to save up for it or i can go get that motorcycle and i can have my 200 dollars a month payment or whatever then i'm gonna have to take care of it I'm going to have to work on it. I'm going to have to no, not, get not, involved. Not that. It's it. just, it's just this idea of like, you're going to end up like the, there's this idea of immediacy. I want immediate reward. Yeah. And I want to go get into a cool new sport and I could do windsurfing and I could do street luge and I could do motorcycles. Which one can I go get into the easiest? And if the barrier to entry on the motorcycle is like, whoa, 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 slow down, son. You need to save $15,000 first so you can buy that motorcycle in cash. And yeah. wrong answer. Yeah. So having, I think the takeaway is having Wells Fargo on board, keeping that money flowing, keeping that yeah, credit going. It's a good that there's not going to be a gap, as hopefully. Mar- as Martha Seward would say, it's a good thing. Is that only Martha? Is that the only person? That's her little catchphrase. And then she went to prison and it was like, don't okay. drop the soap. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Orange is the new Martha Black, right? That's racist. Well, orange? You can't say orange. Did you she, can't, you did can't she say, fake tan or something? You can't say colors anymore. Oh, okay. I, think, right. I don't even think you can say purple. <laughs> It's racist. <laughs> it's racist to Barney the dinosaur. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We're in Portland. <laughs> you got to be careful about these things. All right. No, Barney. Okay. So 
moving from then the boring so we're gonna finance. segue we're gonna segue from barney to autonomous vehicles autonomous vehicles. so what was the story tell me the story so honda yamaha and bmw i just did that backwards in my head that's that's the dyslexia that's fun you you try riding for a living dyslexia what yeah exactly you try riding for a living with a dyslexia yeah. it's a good time i bet you, there's some some articles Challenge. some some articles go out the door and you're like what Whoa. happened there what you need a pre-fruiter pre-fruiter. oh my pre-fruiter pre-fruiter right. see yeah, yeah it's tough talking's <laughs> tough i'm trying to be a dyslexic drink your beer <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh these manufacturers so, so they came up with are collaboration oh no no sorry they're collaborating it's what? not a conspire the yeah, other <laughs> it's uh the in- uh, collaborative intelligent transport system cits um which is just a fancy, a fancy acronym for vehicle to vehicle communication. We also talk about this in the same sense as, uh, Skynet. It is a little Skynet because it's, it's, it, it ultimately leads to autonomous vehicles. But what they're working on, uh, is at the most basic level of vehicles talking to each other and not only talking to other motorcycles, but also talking to other cars and trucks. Sure. And it's that idea like, it's advantageous. So I think, I think the most basic layer we'll see of it is like all these things will kind of be dialing into a system. And if you're a hundred miles up the road and you're sitting in traffic, my navigation system is going to be like, Hey, hundred miles up the road on your route, it gets pretty gnarly. So we're going to just kind of whisk sure. you around here. And we see that just what is happening now with cell phone. I mean, that's how cell phone ways, Google maps, sure. you know, I was, it tra- all goes off cell phones. I was right? driving through LA all last week you know, Google's telling me, Hey, f- save five minutes by taking this next exit because LA is just a quagmire of traffic. Sure. Um, so that's, that's probably going to be the first iteration. And then we'll kind of see things where, um, they'll say, Hey, I'm speeding. And it tells the next car, wow. Hey, this guy's speeding. Hey, he's speeding. That's, right. that's the rabbit hole. But the next iteration we'll probably see, um, like going through, through the neighborhood here, you know, so you have some of these unprotected intersections or blind intersections, probably say hey there is a car approaching and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down and you're about to go through you know a four-way intersection that doesn't have a stop sign so it'll give you like a little alert like hey or it will apply the brakes for you which is that's stuff that's coming that's the next step after it so then you'll have these safety assist kind of things that we kind of already see in the car world where like you can't refute i mean that would if it works it works right yeah but i can i mean i can already see the the motorcycle luddites that hate abs brakes i mean if you don't like abs brakes your future is going to be bleak yeah. Cause it's coming and it's just, you only have to look at the auto industry to see, you know, there's already like Mercedes that, you know, have the, well, even the, the Tesla's now practically drive themselves because they have the, the brake assist and the auto adjusting cruise sure. control. So they see a car, you know, slam the brakes in front of them. They comply like something like 80% of the braking pressure to the pedals without you doing anything. And I know my Mercedes van doesn't have ABS on it and it is scary as shit your your mercedes van doesn't have anything it's, on it but it, there's awesome. an awesome there's an awesomeness to it but at the same time i had some dipshit in a prius not go through a light that i could have made as the person behind them with no question but because it's a dipshit in a prius in a prius they what stop they and I, I it was prius a toyota prius oh right? okay so that caused me to then have to slam on my brakes and lock it up. And I haven't been in a car without ABS 
I can't even, I think my Suzu Impulse in 1990 that I had until 2000, I think that didn't have ABS, but I'm not even sure, right? I'm pretty, maybe it did. Bottom line is I haven't been in a vehicle without it in so long that I didn't, I hadn't locked up the, the wheels of a car. So there I am in this gigantic box van just sliding towards this Prius and I managed, it was like two inches, right? Yeah. But I was thinking about it like, yeah, I could have used ABS. It's amazing right. how effective those tools are. And the people that don't like it on motorcycles use the term Luddite. Holy crap, are they Luddites. Now, were the people that are hating on it, hating on the BMW ABS from like the late 80s, early 90s, it was like a box that weighed 15 pounds. Yeah, that was horrible. And it didn't work that well. And it was clunky. And right. it was clunky all the way into the early 2000s. But the ABS systems that had developed since about the mid-2000s, Ducati had it on the ST4, and then it got crept into, you know, all so many motorcycles now, teeny little units, extremely effective, software is good, the systems are amazing, it's seamless, it's freaking seamless, and it works, and if you can turn it on and off, especially if you can turn off the, the rear, rear yeah. then then I have no issue with it whatsoever, and I love leaving it on because it works so well, right? Even on a racetrack. Right, I've had it on a multi-strata on a racetrack, blow my mind, and it it's amazing, and I love it. So I'm all about it. Going back to that Aprilia, amazing race ABS. Just saying, sure, I amazing. Bet. Did I mean? Could you tell it was working? Did you wear uh, that so lean with your knee down? I, I should, trail braking. I should say, because uh, I still have the collarbone. I was putting around Chuckwalla. I mean, I literally would just kind of zip around and I'd see Brian J. Nelson with his camera and I'd look good for the photo and then I'd go zip around. I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. going slow, but I was not going fast. Sure. And guys that I would normally be keeping up with were blowing past me. So that being said, no, I didn't push the R very far, but I remember the first iteration of the RC4 that I rode at the track and going around Thunder Hill. By the way, I should mention third lap on that bike, complete street trim, broke my personal best at Thunder Hill by two seconds. Hmm. Just... That's how great that bike is. Yeah. Um, but I remember going into the um, the last turn. I forget what number it is before you go on the straightaway. Like 14 or 15, something, something like, like that. that. It's the second turn, actually, because it's you're coming down that kind of back straight. And just I was just like, I just want to see what's going to happen. I'm going to just grab as much as I can and see what the ABS does. And it was so perfect because it's just it's sitting there just letting that tire do its thing. And it goes, okay, you're now about to lose the front, and we're just going to let it slip around. Okay, you're back again, and we'll wait again, and you know, now you're slipping. Okay. Perfect. I mean, you could th you're basically threshold breaking. Yep. With the ABS. Yep. And now you know, like years later, we've developed the system, so now we have a cornering cornering yep. ABS system from Bosch, which I haven't gotten to. The BMWs test. had that on there for at least five years, right? No, that's no? a different system. So this is so this is Bosch's system. It's the MSC. Uh, I'm trying to think something stability control. Wow. Motorcycle stability. Control. That might be it. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Sounds that's right a good, to me. That's a good acronym. Okay. That sounds very German. Um, <laughs> but I mean, they, so they say it doesn't work in a racing application or it shouldn't be used in a racing application, but totally works in a street application yeah, where sure. you crank over one of the new Multistratas that has it or the KTM 1190 Adventure, I think was the first bike to get it. Yeah. You're cranked all the way over in the turn. Just grab that brake as hard as you want. That bike's not going to tuck the front. It's going to. It's not going to pop her straight up either. It's just going to do its thing, and that's and that's where the technology is headed to in that sector where it's great because you know and the Luddites were like, oh well, I don't need uh, you know ABS to do that. I have I have someone that lives in this house that swears that she's better at breaking than ABS, and you sit there and just like bullshit, bullshit. I, there's certain times, yes, certain times, 
but bullshit to every time when you're Absolutely in, when not. you're in the rain when you hit a patch of gravel yeah, no. um if yeah you're coming you down into turn five at road america on a multi-strata that you've only had two laps on and you overcook the corner and you grab it front and rear and front and rear work and it's but it's it's buzzing at you and you still manage to make the corner and you're on somebody else's motorcycle done and done that saved it for me i was like okay that's worth every penny yeah. every freaking penny the systems are so advanced now they're sure. so advanced and that was five years ago right, right? And they're tiny and they're small. And I just, the only valid argument that is still out there is just, you just don't like it. Yeah. Sure. It's like, it's like with like owning the gun, like just, just be honest. With the fact that you just like guns. I like guns. I want to have a gun. Sure. That's the argument. There it is. I get and, it. and that's fine. Be, and be, and understand that that's fine. Yeah. I just don't like ABS. I don't like it. I, I just don't, I just don't like it. You know what? That's fine. You don't, you don't want to have the best technology? That's fine. That's your personal choice. That's how you want a motorcycle. And it comes down to your motorcycling is different than my motorcycling. Sure. And that's okay. That's okay. If we I can could figure okay out a way to that. retrofit that on my on my Mercedes van, I totally would. I'm not going to lie. I don't know how the hell I would do it, but I would love to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think be. about some of my older motorcycles, like my ST2. Oh, it'd be great to be able to retrofit a system like that on my ST2, but that's just not going to, it's not going to happen. So... Back to autonomous vehicles. Yeah. The technology. I mean, that, that, I think that's a great example. The ABS is a great analogy on how that technology has progressed because it, it's just going to be the same with vehicle to vehicle communication. And then eventually that turned into a more autonomous vehicles. I mean, we're see again, we're seeing it already in the automotive industry. Just make that direct link down to motorcycles. And now motorcycling being a recreational activity for a lot of Americans and for some Europeans, maybe that'll be a defining difference. But for commuting oh, like when you get on the freeway sure. like they're good you know and this is this is where i get very worried is the wrong word but i don't see the motorcycle industry really taking this seriously where it's like okay so you get on the highway now and maybe in the next five years there's going to be a couple autonomous vehicles out there but those systems are going to have to develop knowing that the other vehicles around it are free thinking machines right, and don't know and don't know sure. so they're going to have to have some accident avoidance and they're going to do a thing and Maybe they get a special lane. Who knows? We'll have to, you know, time will tell on that one. But I'm worried more like 20, 30 from now, 30, 20 to 30 years from now when almost all the vehicles are autonomous and motorcycle riders who are riding for recreation are not. And what that's going to mean, are, are, are we going to lose that thing because now we're the outlier? We then have to change. I don't know if anyone's thinking about it That's in that context, but I could see the the future of motorcycling hinging a great deal on that factor yeah and that's a scary thought for sure right but an awesome thought would be me getting in my autonomous vehicle merging onto the freeway and some asshole in a prius having to get over because its computer said hey you're a slow asshole in the fast lane i'm gonna move you over to the slow lane." well <laughs> that would make me happy right <laughs> yeah i mean you know I, know I know you're making a joke but like the reality is of it you know everyone's gonna be going the same speed because it's all autonomous and we're Fair just enough. gonna be one big land train Fair enough and that might be a good thing but for those of us who like the freedom of a vehicle which is I, it's right. not distinctly American. It's just the freedom, right? It's like getting on a horse. It's like going for a run. You want to be able to regulate your own speed. You don't want to be metered by some dipshit in a Prius in front of you. You want to be able to go, right? right. And speed laws be damned because they're not you and your vehicle controlling your destiny at that time, right? There, there's an element no, of freedom no, it's that a I, very, I, it's I a like. It's a very American perspective because we are such a car culture. I mean, we came out of World War II and the car was such a big thing of, of American icon. I mean, you talk about too, like in the great depression, like the last thing that people sold was their car sure. model T. 
uh, you know, it's such a defining thing about being an American and like you, you become 16 and you can, you get your first car and that's a huge point in someone's life. And millennials aren't necessarily into that, right? There's a lot of people that are like, Hey, I'm just, I want to live in a city where I don't have to have a car. Oh man, I'm gonna have to have a car. I hear that. I hear it. I'm not saying it's endemic, but it's, it's, it's more than you would hear from somebody in my generation. I hear it. And I think it's just, uh, I think that's literally the, these damn kids these days kind of thing or like, is it really an issue or, or millennials really not buying cars or is it like a subsect of people that live in the city who aren't buying cars who happen to be in their twenties? Okay. So it could you be know, just like, the same as, Hey, did, I, I want gluten-free pizza crust. Well, I'm just going to say did car ownership in, uh, American youth ages 18 to 25 really just go from like, 90% to like 20% or yeah, to no. go from like 90% to 89.9%. It might be just the Portland of it all living yeah. here and being surrounded by oh, people sure. that are similar like that. Cause I tell you what, having grown up in central Texas, I doubt there is a single soul at any high school currently freshman to senior that doesn't want a car right? because they're in central Texas and they need a car to get anywhere. Whereas somebody here that grows up in the city, possibly the Bay area, you, you don't necessarily need it in LA. You need it. Right. I would say most people in San Francisco have a car. They're just paying like $500 a month to keep it in a garage and sure. never use it. And you have to look at it like, hey, maybe I don't need to have this. I can go ride, what is it, BART? BART? Yeah. yeah or well, and use Uber. And right, this Bart, Uber, Uber thing is, zip car. Uber gets into whatever. a whole nother, like autonomous Ubers. Bring it on. That's the next step. Right? That's the next so step. So you think about that type of stuff happening, and it's a given that that's going to that's gonna eventually happen. You know, I have this idea. I totally want to become an Uber driver. But get a Ural sidecar. <laughs> Dead see, serious. See who would get Dead in. serious. If I can make that happen, that would be awesome. I thought about it with the van. Can you imagine me pulling up and blah, 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 right? Into, I can. I right? mean, I can totally somebody imagine somebody like, that. okay, you can get in this van, but I, it's a little extra. I do not imagine anyone getting in that van. <laughs> right? No one's it's getting in windows. that van. It's got window. You can see. There's no candy back there. There's no candy back there. But it's just, <laughs> you're just going to be rolling around on the back of that thing, just <laughs> holding on for dear life. Okay. Autonomy. So other than that, what we really need to focus on is this manufacturer thing. They're just, the bottom line is they got together to say, Hey, we're going to look at this. Yeah. I, I, I do think it's good because you get BMW, Honda, Yamaha. I think it's interesting. Two out of those three names have car divisions as well. I think that's a huge part of it, but it's this idea of like, Hey, we're going to start developing this technology. We're going to start developing a standard. And they said flat out, right. We would love it if other brands would come and join us. So it's a misnomer to say this is autonomous. This is this is just not autonomous. This, yeah, is, this is communication. This is between, vehicle to vehicle communication. Okay, so we should say V to V something. Right. We're gonna have to come up with a sweet buzzword for that. That is the buzzword actually. It's V to V. Okay, so V to V. They're trying to call it collaborative. Oh, what, yeah, what the old the acronym must have been. I'm sure. It I was like horrible. V2V. Yeah. So V to V on these on on motorcycles specifically, but it's going to go to cars, right? It'll it'll go be everybody's going to have blue teeth, right? Big old fangs, blue fangs everywhere cuz it'll be Bluetooth, 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 right? I would assume that's probably going to be the most No, is I that doubt the protocol? It, I doubt it will be. I doubt it'll be Bluetooth is such a uh a low range protocol. It's going to be, honestly, this is, this goes back into our last podcast. It's going to be cell phones. It's going to be oh, it okay. technology. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, and this Mobile, goes, this would be like Wi-Fi hotspots. Uh, like everybody's a Wi-Fi. No, hotspot. I think you're looking at like LTE or whatever the fifth generation wireless okay. uh, protocol is. Okay. Um, 
just but chatting. It, but everything just, chatting. Everyone's just energy be being just talking. bounced around and data and, and digits and zeros and, goes, and ones. And that goes right back into the security side of it, which Skynet. we don't need to rehash. And then it goes Skynet, and then we're screwed because that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger naked going through time over and over and over again in some sort of horrible paradox. That's what Terminator is about. People don't realize this. Yeah. Terminator is about Arnold Schwarzenegger naked perpetually. Yeah. Did you ever see the video? um, Oh man, it was like, I think it was in the eighties or nineties and it's called, I think it's called the pump or something like that. And it's about him. He was, he was, just become like Mr. Universe and he was still like big in the yeah, weightlifting yeah, sure, team. Sure. He's Pump, in there. Maybe it's pumping iron? Uh, that could be it too. Okay. Let's be honest. Not okay. really my wheelhouse. Doesn't matter. Don't really know. Sure. And he's sitting there and he's talking about like what it's like to get pumped up. Have no, you seen I, this scene? I don't think I have. Oh, seen. you got to Google it because he's like, he's like, oh, you know, getting pumped up. This is this is my Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm gonna pump you up. Yeah, oh, sure. it's like it feels so good. I'm in the gym and I'm getting pumped up. Feels like. Feels like I'm calming. So imagine me. I'm I'm backstage and I'm getting I'm getting my pump on. And I'm like it's like I'm coming backstage. <laughs> and I'm like coming in the no. gym and I'm I'm coming backstage. I'm I'm coming all the time. And <laughs> no, imagine this. I'm just coming forever. Yeah. Well, we'll look at it after the show. Okay. Terminator. But if you're listening to the show, you should Google it and realize that I'm not a psychopath. That actually happened. Yeah, I want to. I want to terminate that. And mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry you did a horrible job raising me. <laughs> no, she didn't. She did. You're okay. just reporting. She did it. right. That's, I'm pure, just that's reporting. pure journalism, right there. You're adding the Arnold Schwarzenegger part was journalism. Uh, yeah. yeah, but absolutely. You, what you really got to do is make sure everybody watches the. It's a YouTube video it's of Arnold's voice with Star Wars, right? So it shows Darth Vader as Arnold, and it's it's amazing. It's just cut so that. It's some of his voice from various movies being applied to scenes from the original Star Wars, and it's amazing. You should watch it if you haven't. Uh, we'll, we'll have to trade videos because okay. I'll show you Arnold yeah. coming. And no, I don't want anything to do with that. That's Death Star Arnold. <laughs> terminated. That's terminated. Um, I think with terminated on the mind, we should probably wrap up the show. Okay, sounds good to me. Uh, again, you should follow us on Twitter. Uh, two enthusiasts on facebook.com slash two enthusiasts follow us on itunes we're on itunes now are you we're, somebody asked me that and we I are didn't know. we are so on itunes you don't even know it okay leave and leave a review and if it's less than five stars i'm gonna come and hunt you down <laughs> but please 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 leave a review that's how itunes ranks us in the podcast listings and because the show's just started it's like impossible to find so leave a star rating please leave a review if you have uh, constructive feedback, yeah, feedback. We would love to. We would That's love to hear it. Hear. Sure. Uh, two enthusiasts at asphaltrubber.com. I set up a little email address for us. Uh, we'll eventually get a website and centralize all this information, and maybe even do show notes, which would be crazy. So we could we could oh, link to notes. the we that could link to these. Like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of work that I'm probably going to make you do because uh-huh. I already got too much work uh-huh. to do. Sure. Yeah, all get right. excited. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening, Quentin. Kickstands up. Oh, really? We're still going with that? I like that. It's you my favorite. Quick, oh, man. Good talk. See you out yeah, there. All right. Later. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. I am Jens. Oh, we do it differently, don't we? No, you did it just like that, and I am Quentin Wilson. No, no, no. And together, we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. That's how it is. Sure. Do we have to do it the same every time? I like it. I like it the same every okay. time. I like That's fine by me. All right. Well, maybe I should say fuck no. I want to do it different. No, every we're gonna time. do it. I want to intro the show. Why do you always intro the show? I want to intro the show. <laughs> okay, go. <laughs> Three seconds.
already got the three seconds. Oh, Christ. <laughs>